All right, so one of the areas of uh, the most tricky moral dilemmas is in triage, when in an emergency room, uh, doctors are treating people coming in one after the other in emergency situations, life-threatening often, but there's limited resources. Who do you treat first? Who, who gets the equipment? Who gets, who gets the immediate attention? How do you determine the priorities in treating patients, particularly when life is on the line. This is a very, very prickly moral dilemma because who can measure a life? Who can say who's more important than, than another? And when we're limited in resources, we have to make those choices. And every hospital and every emergency service has to make these choices. Uh, there are medical ethics uh, on this topic coming from a secular legal standpoint. And of course, in, in Jewish writings and in, in Torah thought, there is a lot on it as well. And sometimes they don't exactly see eye to eye. An interesting example happened in South Africa, where there was a particular hospital that acquired a ventilator, a very high quality ventilator, but only one. Uh, sometime, sometime in the past this was, they only had one ventilator in this hospital. And so the hospital developed a uh, protocol where they said that this ventilator, which would be a life-saving thing, can only be used for what they called a salvageable patient, meaning a patient that has a chance of being uh, rec recovering, of living on. However, if uh, a patient comes in where the ventilator may prolong their life, but will not save their life. In such a case, we don't use the ventilator for that person. Why? Because if you do use a ventilator for somebody who is not going to be saved, who's not going to recover, what happens if then an emergency comes in of somebody who could recover, who could be salvageable, but the ventilator is plugged in to somebody else? What do we do now? There is a moral and a legal problem in unplugging the ventilator from somebody who's currently got it even for the sake of, of, uh, of saving a, another life, because then you're actively, practically killing that person. And so the, the, this hospital developed a, a, their, their policy, and that is that the ventilator can only be used for somebody who is salvageable, who could be saved. Now, in this particular hospital in South Africa, there was a Jewish doctor, an, uh, an observant Jew, and he felt uncomfortable with this policy, he was not sure that it was in keeping with halacha because halacha does recognize the value of what's called chaye shah, which means temporary life. Short-term life is also valuable. We don't uh, com completely put aside somebody who maybe cannot get back to their old self, but they could survive somewhat longer. They, they may be able to live longer. That temporary life, uh, that short-term life, is also life and also needs to be saved. And so this orthodox doctor working in this hospital turned to his rabbi and asked the question, do I follow the hospital protocol? And that is that if somebody who cannot survive, they could be prolonged, their life but not survive, comes in, the, the, the hospital says, don't put them onto the ventilator. But I feel maybe halakhically I should put them on a ventilator because I am saving that person's life, uh, even if it's just for now, even if it's not long term. So interestingly, 
the uh, the rabbi that was asked had a response. He said that um, you should follow the hospital guidelines. Um, and the reason he said is because even though halacha does say that a person who's in front of me who needs to be saved, that certainly takes priority over someone who's not here, who might come. And so you might argue that in this case, you've got a, a life right here to save. It's possible that somebody might come in who their life could be saved and they could recover, but that's only a possibility. Whereas you have a, a definite person in front of you and therefore save the person in front of you rather than hold back the ventilator in case someone comes. But this rabbi said that statistically it is likely enough that somebody is going to come into this hospital who needs to be saved and can be saved long term. It happens often enough to say that it's not just a possibility of, some, of, of, of a potential, it's, it's like it's in front of you already. And if in front of you already you have two cases, one case is a person who could be saved but only short term, another person who you could save their life and they could live on, Halacha would recognize that you give priority to somebody whose life could be saved uh, for, for the long term. And so, therefore, interestingly, the, the rabbi who was asked said that in this particular case, you should follow the guidelines of the hospital because uh, it is, it is, is, it's choosing between two lives that are statistically in front of you because the, the, it's, it's going to be, need to be used for, for somebody who's not there yet, but it's as if they're there. That was the, that was the, the original um, advice that was given. But interestingly, the, the question was asked to another halachic authority who had a different opinion. Surprise, surprise. It does happen that uh, rabbis disagree. So what he said was that, no, if there's somebody immediately now who needs the attention, who needs the ventilator, that person does take precedence over a potential recipient who may come in. Uh, this rabbi didn't seem to take into account the statistic likelihood that that's coming in and saying that's not enough. If they're not in front of you, so then you, you, you don't withhold the ventilator from somebody who's right there who needs it immediately. And so therefore you should, this rabbi said, go against hospital policy to save a life, which would be a huge uh, moral question for this doctor that uh, he's got on the one hand, the the Jewish uh, highest mitzvah of saving life. On the other hand, he's employed by a hospital that has a certain policy. Um, he probably is putting his uh, career on the line if he, was, he would go against the policy of the, of the hospital and, uh, and give a ventilator to somebody that they say should not be given the ventilator. But that's what, one, what another rabbi suggested that he should do until it was taken to a third rabbi, which is always a good idea. And the, the third rabbi had a different approach. In fact, quite an ingenious one. He said that he suggested that the, the hospital should change their procedure. What they should do is this. The ventilator should be set up on a timer. The timer should go off every 30 minutes. The, the, the ventilator actually switches itself off. And a bell goes, an alert goes to alert the staff. Uh, and it would then need to be started again. What does that help? When a patient comes in who could use the ventilator but will not 
probably survive as a result, uh, at least not, not long term, but they could, their life could be ex- extended, put them on the ventilator. But the ventilator itself turns itself off every half an hour. And so that gives the opportunity that if another patient comes in whose life could be saved long term, so now you have a different situation. You don't have one person on a ventilator and one person off the ventilator, and you have to switch off the ventilator to, put the, to give it to the other person. This, the ventilator is off now. It went off by itself. It's, it's just an internal mechanism. And so therefore, now we've got a ventilator that's not helping anybody currently, and we've got two patients in front of us, and then the law will say, so out of these two patients, who gets precedence? And the precedence would go to somebody who has a chance of living long-term, as opposed to somebody who only has the, the possibility of extending their life short term. So this uh, quite ingenious uh, suggestion was made that if you, if you set up the ventilator in such a way, you're avoiding the problem of you switching off a ventilator from somebody and actively ending their life uh, for all intents and purposes, which you can never do. You can't kill one person to, to save another. That, I don't know if they ever enacted that or if they ever tried to do it, it but that was the rabbinical solution to that, to that particular problem. Here's, a, here's a, an even curlier one. What if in, in this exact circumstance where you have only the one ventilator and two patients enter at the exact same time? So before we were talking about the possibility when one comes first, we take, we, we've got to save the person who comes first. The question is if the person comes second and takes precedence. We, we, if we've got two cases in front of us, one of them could be saved for long-term, one for short-term, so then long-term takes precedence. What if... Two patients come in front of us. One of them is a victim of an attempted murder. Somebody tried to murder this person and their their life is on the line, but they're still alive and they could be saved. The other person comes in who is a victim of an attempted suicide. They tried to kill themselves. Who gets saved first? They're both in front of us. They both have the exact, exact same uh, level of danger. They're, they're both on, on the last legs. Both of them could be saved for long term. Their lives could be saved. The difference is the cause. One of them was a victim of, of attempted murder. The other one tried to kill themselves. So who do we save first? Whoever has health insurance. That's the I think who gets the, the they come in at exactly the same time. Exactly the same time. Now, this is tricky on all levels. This is tricky on a uh, moral and halachic level, a legal level. On an emotional level, it also is tricky. J- just, just our, our gut reaction. I mean, we certainly have a lot of sympathy for a victim of an attempted murder, assuming, assuming that they were an innocent person and, and some, some criminal came and tried to kill them, assuming that. Uh, we also have a lot of sympathy for somebody who tried to kill themselves because that, that person, to be drawn to that extreme, there must be a lot going on. And even though Jewish law, of course, Murder is in the Ten Commandments, one of the one of the, the, the worst, if not the worst, sin in the Torah. Suicide is also forbidden. Just like it's forbidden to kill another person, it's forbidden, forbidden to kill oneself. And and so we 
suicide is, is indeed a sinful act. However, we do make a, an, an assumption that on a practical level, somebody who actually is driven to that extreme, uh, it is due to some uh, mental stress and uh, extreme circumstances that they, they probably are not in their right mind and wouldn't really choose to do it if they would be. And so we do have a lot of sympathy for somebody who actually was drawn to that extreme. Uh, but at the same time, one of them was a victim of a murder attempt. The other one brought it upon themselves, tried to kill themselves. And so you could, you could argue that we should really help the victim of murder first, the attempted murder victim, before the one who tried to kill themselves, because he tried to kill himself. He, he brought this upon himself, as opposed to this person who was a, who was a victim, assuming he was an innocent victim uh, in, in, this, in this case. That, that could be an argument. On the other hand, you could argue another way. An, an interesting argument would be, if we are successful, we're the hospital and we're successful in saving one of these lives, so what have we prevented? We've prevented a death, which is an amazing thing. We've saved the life, prevented a death. But also, if you save the life of the murderer, you've prevented a murder from happening. If you save the life of the attempted suicide, you've prevented a suicide from happening. So which is bigger? Is it bigger to prevent a murder? Or is it bigger to prevent a suicide? <laughs> Both of them are terrible sins. Um, but saving the murderer, saving the, the, the attempted victim of a murder, well, you've, you've saved the murderer from being called a murderer. So you've helped him. Not only you've helped the victim, he's alive. You've helped the murderer. He's not a murderer now because the guy's alive. He's an attempted murderer, but he's not a murderer. Whereas saving the suicide victim, you've saved that person from being a, from being a person who committed suicide. So who, who should our sympathies be towards? Should it be towards somebody who tried to kill themselves because of some terrible extreme circumstance? It would be, it's terrible for their soul. It's, it's terrible for not, not just for their body who dies, but for their soul to be, to be someone who killed themselves. If we could save them from committing suicide, that is perhaps, arguably, a greater thing than saving a murder victim from being murdered. Okay, you're saving his life. We're not comparing lives, but you're, you're helping the murderer now that he's not a murderer. Although that, that, you could, you could counter-argue that one as well. So interestingly, the, the sages do say that where do we find the source of, of saving lives, what, where, of saving someone's life? Where does it come from? It actually comes from the law of returning a lost article. The Torah says that if I'm walking down the street and I see somebody's property that was lost, I have a mitzvah to return it to its rightful owner. And our sages say, if that's true of property, how much more so is it true of life? There's nothing that we own that's more precious than our life. So if, if we have an obligation to return somebody's lost wallet or watch, certainly their life that is going to be lost, if I can bring it back to them, return it to them, save it, I have, I have an even greater obligation. That's where the source is. And in the laws of returning lost articles, it says that my obligation is to return the lost article for somebody who lost it against their will by accident. But if somebody brazenly, irresponsibly threw their article away, I don't have an obligation to bring it back to them. If a, if a person actively, willingly lost their things, I don't have an obligation to give it back to them. And so some ex, 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 uh, uh, apply that also to saving lives. 
and say that if, if, if somebody's a victim of a disease or an attack, I have an obligation to save their life. If somebody tried to take their own life, some opinions say I don't have the same obligation to save them. That's not the halachic conclusion, important to note. If we do, God forbid, see somebody who has tried to take their own life, we do try and save their lives. We do, we do everything to save their life. We actually do. But the fact that there are opinions out there in halacha that are not the final decision, that say that we don't save such a life, so that weakens the case a little bit for the suicide case and strengthens the case of the attempted murder victim. And so everyone agrees that an attempted murder victim, we save their life, we do everything we can. There are opinions that say that a suicide we don't. Even though we do practically, but because their opinions say that, that weakens that side. And so therefore, the halacha would most likely be that if in such a horrific situation where a hospital is faced with saving only one life, either the victim of murder or the person who tried to commit suicide, halacha would say you would first go to the murder victim uh, and then attempt to save the, the suicide as well. And please God, they should both be saved and we should all be well and only hear good news. Amen.